Welcome everyone to episode 211, that's 211 of Green and Gold Rugby Podcast. This is Rugby Reg, welcome back to another week of chat, wang, about everything green and gold on the rugby field. Uh, the regulars are back again this week, Hugh Cavill, how are you going Hugh? Yeah, I'm good Reg, yeah I'm good, yeah fresh off another week of watching our super teams get belted, Re- ready to start talking some wallabies. <laughs> not all of them mate, not all of them. <laughs> But I think the nature of our Super Rugby performance this weekend very much dictates the format of our show this week as well. So we'll get onto that in a little while. And of course, uh, Matt Gag is with us too. How are you going, Matt? Mate, I'm great. I'm just reveling in that win over the Sunwolves. It's, uh, <laughs> it was the highlight of my weekend, really. So it was the only highlight of the weekend. So there you go. And it was only barely just, but nah, it was good enough, but it was it anyway, but it is. We are very much setting our sights on the, on the Wallaby squad and the, the, the team, uh, to be named. England have named their squad to tour Australia and the Wallabies, uh, due to be announced this week. Matt, is that right? We'll hear of the team later this week. Yeah. Well, I can, I can let everyone else know that the Wallabies or the AOU media, they don't know either. <laughs> so I've been talking to them for about three weeks now and, um, it's basically, it's just when Czech decides. Um, so, and some, you know, I've got some little whispers sort of saying that Czech is really interested actually in still looking at a number of players. Um, for example, even in the Force and Rebels match, um, that's still happening, that's going to be happening on the weekend. So I think he's really wanting to cast that net wide actually. Um, well, so. that's a shame for any potential Reds players given they've got the buy this weekend. There's not, yeah. no more chances for us to push that barrow. <laughs> yeah. Done, yeah. Yeah. Done and dusted for the Reds. Okay. Alright, so we're going to be doing a lot of, um, uh, guesswork. It's, you know, tis the season, it's Wallaby season coming up. Uh, Hugh's written, uh, the, the first blog piece on, on guessing his Wallaby team, uh, for England. And tonight we're going to do a bit of an extension of that. Uh, we're going to start by asking the question. These are our five burning questions. Uh, I'll run through them for you so you can start formulating answers for yourself. So the first one's going to be, who is the most important player? to this Wallaby squad for the England series. Question two is going to be, what will be the biggest talking point on Green and Gold Rugby after that squad is announced? Question three is sevens. Andy Friend rested a heap of players uh, for the men's team uh, in the London sevens, whilst Tim Walsh, Walsh the, uh, the Aussie women's coach, has picked his full-strength squad for their final tournament this weekend, which was a right approach, and that's going to bring us to a, an interview Matt's done with uh, Tim Walsh, which is a, a great listen. Question four, do Aussie fans have anything to look forward to for the rest of the Super Rugby season? And we're going to finish with, with perhaps what has been our most difficult question, uh, burning question we've ever asked on this show, and it is simply, who is your favourite ever England rugby player? So... Look, we, we deal with the big issues and then we'll leave the toughest to last, but we're going to come straight back to the most important Wallaby squad member versus England. Hugh, I'm going to go to you because you've written this article. You've kicked us off. You've started the discussion. Who's your call here, mate? It's a tough one, isn't it, Reg? This was most important. You can take take a few ways. Um, this doesn't necessarily mean the best, but I've, I've racked my brains and there's a few candidates. The, the one I'm going to go with is Michael Hooper. Um, I, I think... At the moment, you know, it's been discussed his form's been a little bit patchy this year, but I don't think it's been too bad. Too many um, tars, too many tars. <laughs> that's right. But I think more from um, a perspective of, look, I know we know David Pocock's going to be outstanding. We know a few of these, and we know Bernard Foley's going to be solid. In terms of known commodities, they bring something very 
you know, very well understood. Hooper is a bit more of a live wire, and I think he's one of the talismans of this Wallaby team. If we can get him up out of the line making big hits, I um, mean, if, if he can get that ball running game going, we're really going to rely on that to get over the game line. And, and I think if he's firing, if he's having a good game, then it's every chance that the Wallabies are having a good game as well. I think he's a he, – so in that regard, I think he is our most important player um, for this England series. Right, so you'd pick him. Okay, interesting. Um, Matt, I'm going to have at you. What's your call here? Well, yeah, there's a lot of different ways to take this, isn't it? So, you know, one way to think of it is uh, what's the what would be the biggest problem for the Poms or what's their biggest opportunity? Um, and then, you know, you think about where we're short. I mean, I think the area where suddenly it's just, you know, is the inside backs. So, you know, 10 and 12, mm. so you can take your pick. I mean, in your squad there, Hugh, basically, we've only got sort of two playmakers left, um, and that's Bernard Foley or Christian Leliafano. And I think, you know, if Foley goes, we're in a lot of trouble, actually, because um, Leliafano, I think, this season, if you look at his numbers, uh, he's, I know he's only been playing at 12, but he's basically just been shipping the ball. Um, there's not a lot of attack there, or a lot of threat. So from that perspective, I kind of think, you know, this team's got used to playing with Foley at 10. Um, I know that's going to cause a lot of heart attacks uh, for, for some people, it's the Quaid fans from last year. But, yeah, I think if Foley suddenly goes, who, who would have thought this? But suddenly, who the hell? This is assuming, of course, Matt Tamura isn't back because um, that would solve that question. That's a fair analysis, isn't it, Matt? I didn't think of it that way in, in terms of if this player falls over, what's our, what's our backup? And, and Foley would have to be a, an absolute standout there. It's quite scary, the, uh, the options there if he, if he does, if anything should happen to him. So touch wood, nothing does. Um, I haven't probably looked at it the same way because I think we've got a little bit of depth in this position. But to my mind, and, and call me biased, but you two Tars have called a couple of Tars, I think it's James Slipper. I, I just think, and, and I know he's not even in your test starting team yet, Hugh, and, and I'm adamant he should be. Um, Slipper is getting back. He may even be there to his his career best form. His scrummaging is fantastic. We know the strength of red scrum and they've scrummed really well, but it hasn't all been Greg Holmes. A lot of the the work has been on Slipper's side, the loose head side. He's worked over some really good tight head props, and you watch some of these slow mos with the scrums, and he is just so powerful. He's worked so hard in those scrums, so that's a great start. The scrum's going to be key for us versus the Poms, as it always is. But the other thing that's come back is his running game. I mean, his work rate's there, and you see that. He's making plenty of tackles, and he's hitting the rucks. But it's also his attacking game, which, you know, is not your your prime objective for a for a, a front rower. But, um, you know, we need our, our front rowers working hard, and, and Slip is one that really does work hard. And he, and he makes, makes some really valuable meters for us. I thought it was fantastic, you know, versus the Sunwolves on the weekend. The Reds win, the only win of the Aussie Super Rugby teams in the weekend. I, I just love what Slip is doing at the moment, and I think... Um, to be fair to CEO, I think he was there by default last year because uh, Slipper was was injured and battling with a, a couple of dud shoulders. He's back to full fitness back this year, Slipper, and I think he deserves his spot back. And I think he's a he's a real critical part of that uh, that Wallaby unit. Mm. Yeah, uh, look, I, I wouldn't be, look, I wouldn't have any objection to starting Slipper over Scotty CEO. I, I I think both are pretty outstanding players, and we're, and we're blessed. And I think one will probably play forty five minutes and the other thirty five. Um, so. You know, there's not a huge amount of difference, but yeah, I agree with you, Rich. He he's in great form and had another great game against the Sunwolves um, on on Saturday, and 
And so, yeah, he, he, he may well get the start too with that, that little bit of leadership and experience that he has as well, which counts for a lot. Yeah, I mean, just going with your rationale there, Reg, you're talking about how important the front row is going to be against the Poms because they would so love some um, ascendancy there, wouldn't they? Um, mm. You know, after what happened. I mean, I actually, I went to the other red at the other side of the scrum, which is Greg Holmes. Yep. Just yep. from a glass half-empty perspective, um, which is that if he goes, then the only guy I think we're really looking at is what, Ben Alexander? Uh, yeah, I reckon they'd, they'd probably consider Toby Smith. He ended up, he's playing loose head at at the Rebels, but played a bit of tight head for the Wallabies last year and actually did okay. Mm. And then, look, my only other honourable mention, I know you zoned in on Michael Hooper there, Hugh, was just, I think the Poms, the guy they will fear the most that they think is going to tear him a new one is going to be David Pocock. Because, um, I, you know, you look at this Pommy squad, yet again, they don't have a seven. Um, someone, mm. someone to battle up the breakdown and, you know, I think if... If Poey's fit and healthy and playing well, I think he's going to absolutely kill him. Oh yeah, that's 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 a given. I mean, <laughs> if he's fit and firing, he's killing everyone. There's no there's no yeah. real debate there. But I mean, yeah, they, they don't seem to have any any answer to it. So um, yeah, there you go. Good stuff. All right, well, that's who we think our most important player is to this Wallaby squad. Let's ask the next question. Once that Wallaby squad's named. What do you reckon is going to be the biggest talking point on green and gold rugby, the, the most controversial, the most, uh, I guess, the guy that gets the most chat uh, around their selection? Uh, Matt, what's your thoughts here? Look, I, no, I happen to know, I think I mentioned earlier on in the pod that I know Checker is casting the net very wide. And how can I say this? I mean, wider than you might think. So... I don't know, say, think of some of the most mind-bending, for example, cross-code converts that are probably some of the most famous famous players in the world right now, and I think he's even considering them, should I, should I say. Um, so I, there could be someone that could absolutely um, mind, you know, kind of mind-bend us. Um, but I would say out of the, on Hughes' list there, I think the people think they'll get the boards melting at green and gold will be Will Skelton. Um, if he gets if he gets kind of kind of stuck in there um, looking like a possible run on at lock, I think that's going to cause a lot of people a bit of a meltdown. And there's a chance, you know, Checker loves him. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I can only <laughs> I can only ascertain you're talking about Jared Hayne there, Matt. I can't think of any other big names, but he's now ineligible given he's playing for Fiji last weekend. So that's maybe what that's what I thought as well. But maybe I don't know. Anyway, all right. Uh, no, I think the, the rugby gods are pretty clear. Okay, <laughs> I don't think there's any grey area there. Okay. I reckon your source from last year that was feeding us those Wallaby teams before they were announced might just be testing the waters here, Matt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Ignore me. Ignore me then. Ignore me. All right, let's We've go. been ignoring you for years. <laughs> it's the best way. Let's go back to the uh, the question. Hey, mate, I'm with you. Skelton was mine. I, I think um, I, you know, I don't know whether it's, you know, we all know Locke's the probably other than inside back, and that's only through lack of numbers. Locke is the, probably the biggest talking point positionally-wise, I guess, maybe wing. Um, and Skelton, I'm not convinced he'll start. I think he'll be in the squad. I think he probably deserves and I think, you know, he, he showed some good form. I think Chica can get the best out of him. And I also think he's the type of player that we could use if he's playing well effectively versus the Poms. But he is definitely the type of player that... Um, uh, for, let's say four other states at least uh, will raise question marks about um, and yeah I, I'm with you I think he's the one that will uh, raise the questions Hugh what are your thoughts 
Yeah, look, despite what Matt said, I think, I think always there is talk about, you know, bolters and we're casting the net wide. And not that I'm saying Matt's off the mark, but I mean, I, I think Checker will probably stick to proven performers. Um, and it will err on the side of experience. As I said in my, in my post, uh, yesterday, I can't see there being too many left field. Actually, most of the squad kind of picks itself. There's only a few spots. Your outside backs and your second rowers where there really is the potential to get someone out of left field. The, the one I think, knowing, knowing the buttons that, that will be pushed on, uh, on our website, the one I think that might, I expect that he will be named, um, is Dean Mum. And, <sighs> That's. It's stuck. <laughs> I just have a hunch. I just have a hunch that Checker likes Dean Mum. We've, we've always known that. He brought him back from the UK. He put him in the Tars. He put him in the Wallabies off the Tars bench. And he picked him all the way through the World Cup to the point where, you know, he came on 15 minutes into a World Cup final. I, I don't think he's going to dispense with Mum. I think Mum's greatest strength is that the versatility that he offers. He can play six and he can play in the second row. And um, no other Australian player can really do that. Maybe Luke Jones, but I think Luke's probably a bit off the radar at the moment. So I think that probably gets him into the squad, that versatility. He can sit on the bench. He can cover a few spots. Um, and I'm not sure I would pick him. I don't think he's in horrible form, but there's certainly probably better candidates out there. But um, I have a feeling just as a checker favourite, um, he's going to get across the line. Well, that would certainly set me off. <laughs> yeah, I've got to say, look, I agree with your analysis, Stacey. I think he likes it. Yeah. But, um, I can't think how he's had an ordinary season. I mean, you know, it just, you know, he's got hands like Mark Chisholm's. They're, you know, they're, they've been dreadful. Big cheese. Is he go, is he in the cut wide net, Matt? Is he? Yeah, is I was going to say. Could well be, mate. Could well be. Hasn't run out with PG <laughs> recently, so I think he could. Yeah. So I mean, look, but, but I, who, if he was going to go absolutely crazy and go wide, though, I mean, who else could he? I mean, what about? Um, I guess if, if they haven't been playing Super Rugby this year, you know, this season they couldn't be in. So you know, the kind of the Will Will Houston of the world, uh, you know, Will Houston, Leroy, Leroy, Houston. Leroy sorry. Jeez, that'll be that'll be left field picking picking a ref. <laughs> Start with the Wallabies. Well, look, you know he's fit. It could help our discipline issues, though. Exactly, we could do with that. Um, yeah, no, if uh, Big Leroy, um, you know that sort of a call. I mean, is are they is that completely out if they haven't tried? Well, it it's not because the talk is that Leroy is going to be signed by the Reds pretty soon, and that might be announced. You know, within the next couple of weeks, and, and that's what that under the Dean Mum rule, the the Gitto clause, the Mum clause, mm-hmm. um, that's enough to get him selected. Right, just the signing. You don't actually have to try it out. No, no. The same thing would go for Tekeli Nyaravoro too. Nyaravoro, yeah, yeah. I, um, I need that's... to. It needs to be a dual announcement that he was signing with a club and then he was being picked in the squad, because you can't have A without B. B but there's still a. talk about Nyaravoro featuring. Before the Wallabies, that he'll play for the Waratahs in the next. How many games are left? Is it just the one game before the June break? Isn't there? Yeah, well, I, I am. I have been told that he's already lined up a stint in Japan before he comes ah, back. Right. So I think he might be back in time for the Rugby Championship. Oh, okay. But um, he's doing a little stint in Japan for some reason. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I'll, you know, it's interesting if you consider if they because the other thing that Chica came out 
this week saying he's going to mix it up. He's going to, you know, wants to keep Eddie guessing from test to test. Um, do you reckon that's real or do you reckon that's just a double bluff by checking on his old Randwick buddy? I don't know. I don't know what to expect from post World Cup checker. I don't. You know, it's it's everything in that lead up it, since this moment he started. Well, we were aiming towards the World Cup and all the shenanigans that went on. You could justify in that, you know, when we beat the All Blacks in Sydney and then changed the team, you know, made ten changes before the All the game at Eden Park. Right, well, yeah. you know, it was a World Cup prep and we had to try our options and that sort of thing, but. Now, well, it's just building the best squad, so I can't see how that would help. But I don't know. Mm. I mean, I, I, the one thing we've learned, the one thing we've learned is never doubt Checker. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so I'm with him. I'm I'm all in. It doesn't matter. I, he, he can change fifteen. He can pick Will Houston at five eight. I, 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 I mean, a backline of all referees: Rowan Hoffman, Angus Gardner. I mean, it's it's an option. Nick Berry at halfback, obviously. Nick Berry at halfback. <laughs> Yeah, that's so what we should probably get together, like a 15 of refs at some stage. Um, if, uh, you know, if, if Chex doesn't, you know, pick them first for the Wallabies. <laughs> um, yeah, I look, I, I think my mail is though just a bit more seriously, Hugh, is that, you know, the squad you've got there is, is, is pretty damn solid. And, and that's basically picked around incumbency, isn't it? So, you know, if you're there in that World Cup winning team, it's going to take basically injury to shift you. Um, and I think that's what he'll do. I mean, that was his pre- that's pretty much the way he did things at the Tars, wasn't it? Yeah, and I can't even remember a Wallaby squad, a first Wallaby squad of the year, with less question marks, to be honest. I mean... I'll, I'll, I'll take it back further, and I've probably got the stats to do it. This might be the first Wallaby squad in some while that hasn't had a debutante in the first test. I mean, we don't know that. And, and do you know, I can be proven wrong. Last year's team didn't have a debutante in the first test. So yeah. forget about that stat. But but you're right. It's a fairly <laughs> solid team, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. Well, I mean, and this year, you've got a few. You've got probably a lock. You'd think an Adam Coleman or a Rory Arnold might get a run. Yeah, and you think yeah. the word Dane Haylett Petty or a, a outside back of some description. There's a few holes there, but... Everything else you think is pretty much, you know, pretty, uh, I, unless he decides to really leave out someone like a Tatafu Polotta now, uh, uh, you know, and, and make a move away from some of those guys. Um, yeah, but I can't see him doing that, to be honest. What does he do, though? Say, you know, going back to the point earlier, which, if, like, Foley goes down. I mean, you, you're down to, what, one playmaker? Yeah, well... Debrasini's probably the next one in line, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, well, but if, if Foley goals, you've got to change the game plan. I mean, I know he loves his his uh, his two playmakers, but there are no other options unless you pick Hunt at inside centre, and that's a yeah. massive gamble. Do you just change your game plan and Lili Afano's your distributor, and you've got Karevi at 12 or Kurandrani at 12 and yeah, the other at 13, and then you just become a, a running team? And you might have to put a... a oh, gosh. Mike Harris? Um, yeah, that, he's probably more likely the option ahead of Debrasini. I think Debrasini's going to be dropped from the, the Rebels this week, so, you know, you, you can't consider him. Wow, okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, yeah, Harris, geez, I mean, he he hasn't really been in the checker orbit, has he? No, uh, I don't think he's yeah. played under him. No, because he, he had that knee injury, didn't he? So He's been injured for a long time, yeah. Yeah, but so, yeah, God, that would be very left field. But, yeah, just, that, you know, one injury there... 
And it wouldn't have to be to Foley. It could be to Lelia Fano because I think you'd then... Yep. I mean, I think even as it is, just with two playmakers, I would think Czech would be getting nervous. Yep. Um, and he because he'd be thinking, I'll lose either one of those and I've got to really change things up. It probably does mean we have those bigger running centres like everyone's been formulating, but I think even then he'd want some cover. So that might be the area where we see someone... I'll tell you who um, someone challenged, I think our last podcast... Um, who came on and sort of said, you know, what about, you know, Kyle Godwin? Why aren't we even thinking about him? Yeah. I mean, he's only been back a couple of games. Mm, um, two years ago, maybe, but... Yeah, uh. that was my answer, but, um, you know, he's in the, the numbers that he posted for those two games have been uh, pr- have been pretty decent. So, I don't know, but yeah. It's, yeah, it's a it'd be inter- interesting to know the perspective of him. If you remember back to that Cheeka's first stint as Wallaby coach at overseas tour and he took the team that wasn't, he didn't select it. I think Ewan must have selected it or whoever did. Um, Godwin was picked and he didn't play a, a second that game and I think there might have even been a couple of midweek games. He didn't play a bit. Um, you know, so that maybe that indicates where Chica, whether he's got a, a bit of a Jed Holloway perceptive of, of Godwin. I, I don't know. How much does it, you know, how desperate do we have to be to call on Quaid? You know, if you rule out Giddo, Giddo's, um, Injured, I think. Um, Quaid's 58 caps. Do we, you know, instill a, a Cooper clause? Or even the fact that that's the other rumour that I think we'll be hearing that Quaid's back at the Reds in the next couple of weeks as well. Um, so, you know, there's you go. There's your, the mum clause in effect again. Cooper might be the option. That would be very, that would be very good timing. Oh, no, that would be a headline. Talk about meltdown. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's have to get the next server on the, on <laughs> for that one. <laughs> All right, so uh, squad selection, hey, it uh, causes all sorts of chat and there's, there's plenty more to happen because we just don't know when this squad's going to be selected. But let us use that as a segue on to our, uh, our next question, shall we? And, and it's this run around squad selection around the seven. So Andy Friend took um, uh, a much-changed uh, squad. In fact, the last couple of series uh, he, uh, Paris and then Twickenham just this past weekend really... S- Mixed up his squad a bit. The, the Twickenham, uh, tournament, he, he rested Jenkins, Cam Clark, Con Foley, James Stannard and Sam Mars, who are all players here you'd suggest will be definitely on the plane to Rio. Um, and, and, you know, whether it was that selection or whatever, um, we had our, I think our worst performance of the year, t- finishing 10th, didn't even make it through to the, uh, the first round. Um, and you compare that to Tim Walsh, who the, her, his women's team are playing this weekend in France, and he's, I think he's picked as uh, his strongest team of the series. Um, here we've got a bit of hindsight to, to rely on here. What's your perspective on, on those selections? Did uh, Andy uh, make the wrong choice and, and Tim the right one? It's hard to say wrong and right um, in this, in this and circumstance. Uh, I don't agree with what Friend did, and I'd said it when he made, before the tournament started, when he picked his team. I mean... I, in one sense, the Australian team didn't have much to play for in that they'd already locked up fourth in the World Series. They weren't going to go higher or lower. Um, they kind of know who their best players are. They had a tough pull, you know, with Fiji and England in there as well as Wales. And, and you know, maybe they just decided they wanted to rest their top guys and give the lesser lights a run and see who could put their hand up for the plane to Rio. Um, I think that was probably their logic, but... You know, I think that I think we missed an opportunity. In, in World Sevens, you just don't get many chances to test yourself 
in game scenarios against good teams. You know, you've got 10 tournaments a year, um, and, you know, 10 weekends a year you're on and the rest you're off. And, and I think we've got to, in the lead up to Rio, as this was our, the last tournament before Rio, I'm not sure why we didn't try and at least get our top seven guys on the field together and let's approach it like we would a Rio and actually give it, give it a red hot crack. And, you know, we might actually get a good result and get a bit of momentum going towards Rio. Um, in a, and what we ended up doing was picking these guys who I could have told you weren't up to it with one or two, two or three exceptions. And it turns out they weren't. They got knocked down into the bowl. Then they got beaten in the, in the bowl final by Wales. And, and, you know, they made hard work to beat Portugal by a try. And it mm. was pretty ugly viewing. It was pretty ugly viewing. And I don't know what we've learned from it other than what we knew going in that was guys like, John Porch and, and Stefan van der Walt and, you know, the, and Tom Winterstein, Easter, yeah. Winterstein. Uh, look, they're okay, but they're, they're not really top line players and they might all battle for that last spot on the plane. But, um, you know, it was good to see Jesse Parahi and Palmer Foe, um, back and hitting some form and, and Henry Hutchison continued his good form. Look, I, I don't know. I think we missed a trick. I think we really missed an opportunity to get our best guys on the field, get a bit more cohesion, um, you know, and get some momentum towards Rio. Um, but it appears we we picked, you know, three months training together, you know, which which is okay. And then look, the proof will be in the pudding, Reg. The proof will be in the pudding. If well, we can win an Olympic medal, then I'll tip my hat to Andy Friend. But well, as it is, I'm not sure. This is all just the folly of youth that you've got there, um, Hugh. As far as, oh. as, as far as the decision. Okay. Well, no, look, uh, yeah, I can see both sides, but actually I can, I can definitely see, um, the thinking there. Uh, you guys talked about it earlier on as the same choice that Checker made, I think, as far as because of the games and ship and these sorts of situations. No one cares how you've done in the tournament leading up to the big gig, right? So, you know, in the year leading up to World Cups or into this Olympics and look, we weren't going to win, um, you know, the, the series. It wasn't like the series was on the line for this. And it, as for momentum, like you just said yourself, there's a three month break. You can't really call it momentum. I, I think what he was probably, he was more thinking was my biggest, my bigger risk is that I pick up some injuries in the next three months. Like on the uh, interview we did with him, you know, they're going to be playing some, some games against Japan, I think it is, and um, things yeah. like that. And in, they, these guys train damn hard. So any of them could pick up a soft tissue injury at any time. And I think he's just, yeah, he's decided, well, look, you know, there's basically, as far as they're concerned, a dead rubber in London um, versus, you know, making sure he knows, um, you know, who who else he can go to. And that's exactly why he rested those big names because he knows they're slotted. He knows what they'll give him. And he knows that, you know, he, he'll be able to put him in. It's the other people that he hasn't seen under pressure. And I think that's why he was looking at him. Yeah. And you've got, you've got to compare him to uh, the women. And, and Tim Walsh has the luxury of picking his best team. And this is for the World Championships as well, um, for the women. And hashtag make history is the cause we're, we're pushing there. But this is, I think, their fifth tournament, whereas the men, it was their tenth tournament. So there's a workload thing to consider there as well. And the women are dead on to win it as well, right? So... You know, you wouldn't dare not put your best team out because you can win the whole. You can actually win the series. Yep. Whereas there's no way the, the the men were going to. That's true, but look, I would look. That's I know there's three months gap, but it, we haven't won a tournament all year, and you know we've made a couple of finals, and that's actually I think huge in the course of this team. Every time we do go deep in a tournament, to keep that going, and and 
And look, you know what ended up happening in the tournament was was the big guns fell away and Scotland ended up winning. Mm. You know, and 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 what a huge what a huge shot on the arm for Team GB for, for those guys to get up and get a win. And and they're ranked low, you know they're I think twelfth ranked team in the series. So I think there was something there for us. And and to come away and finish tenth, well we may as well not have entered. I mean, why did we even enter? Let's just throw it away. Um, I, I think. With, uh, in the in the example of the World Cup with Michael Checker, well, he ha- he had a few he had plenty of games to try different combinations, and actually there were legitimate questions of whether Cooper was better than Foley and what our ideal second row pairing was, and a few of those. But but what Friend put out was a team of genuine second stringers who we knew were genuine second stringers and played like genuine second stringers. So yeah, it was good to give them a run, and and I understand why he did it, and your and the, the the logic makes sense, Matt. I don't I don't dispute it, but. I I just don't I just don't agree with it. It's not what I would have done. Can, can I make a couple of points? Firstly, uh, you talk about the squad. I think uh, it was great to see Palmer foul back. Jesse Parahai, as you said, I thought Sam Fig was fantastic on the tournament. Yeah, so he was great, he, wasn't he? he was maybe great. he staked his claims a little bit. Um, but uh, congrats to young Henry Hutchinson who took out the World Rugby Rookie of the Year award um, just this week. He he is just fantastic. It'll be interesting without trying to degloss what he's trying to do with. Rio, it'd be fascinating to see if he makes the leap to 15s and, and who picks him up and how he goes. But I do want to think we should just mention the women a, a little bit more um, and it will lead us into our chat with Tim Walsh because the women, uh, they play uh, their tournament in France uh, starting on the 28th, so this weekend, um, and Walsh has able to pick his full neck... <laughs> Full strength team for the first time. Shani Williams, Elia Green are both back from injury, um, which is really significant. And Charlotte Kaslick, all the stars are there. It's a fantastic opportunity. We're, we're drawn with Fiji, Ireland and France. First match is 8.30 on uh, the 28th, which uh, I think must be Saturday. 8.30 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. Then another one at 11.12 and another one at 1.56 uh, on Sunday morning. So... We uh, we really look forward to watching them and getting behind them. Like I said, the IOU are pushing the hashtag, uh, hashtag make history with them, um, which will be really important too. So we support that. Um, and Matt, you had a sat chance to sit down with Tim Walsh uh, earlier this week and, and talk about sevens in general. So joining me now, I've got Tim Walsh, who's uh, head coach of the Australian uh, women's sevens team. Mate, how are you? Very well, thank you. Mate, thanks for joining us. Now, for those people who don't know you, you've got a big history in rugby. You've played um, super rugby for the Queensland Reds. You captained the Aussie men's sevens. You were an interim coach uh, with the with the men's sevens just recently before taking on the head coach of the, the women's team. I was going to open up and ask... How much, I mean, I think it was around 2009 that you were captaining the side. How much has Sevens changed in, in that time? Yeah, it's just become a, a, so much more competitive and a lot more detailed. Um, sort of back in the, I, sort of, I played my first series in 2001, 2002, and then sort of stretched it out amongst um, sort of a 15s career. And that was the way that most Sevens players ended up ended up playing. They weren't sort of... Um, uh, specifically contracted to two play sevens. It was sort of you get together um, sort of a week before you tour, then you had a week on tour, and then you rolled into the tournament, and then you know went went back to back. So um, yeah, very very different in terms of the athlete. It wasn't very specific to all the sevens data information, and 
and precision that they have now. So to, to make the transition from, um, say, playing 15s a week before and into 7s was probably um, a lot more achievable. Obviously, the more experience you had, assets, obviously, you know, um, you know you'd, you'd, you'd be better at it. So there were those sort of 7s seven guys who were like Ben Gollins, for instance, who would um, you know, pretty much dedicate his, his career to sevens and you just know all the ins and outs and, and they really understand how to uh, really sort of you know take teams apart because he was so um so detailed in that. But now you've all the teams um but um being professional and having a real focus around their sevens program. So, you know, match strategies, um the specific fitnesses uh, behind it and then all the science behind it as well, which has really increased um the, uh, the athletic uh, knowledge, but their ability to to bounce back and be bigger, faster, and quicker. Yeah, I mean, it was actually a big conversation we were having on our most recent podcast. We we're just saying, look, you know, with a number of big 15s names not making the cut, so you know, Quaid, for example, and then also we just see today uh, Jared Hayne. I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe you can give us a little bit of insight into that in a second, but, you know, he hasn't made the cut, as in he hasn't been chosen for the Fiji team in London. Is is Have the two codes kind of grown that far apart now that you think that's it? Like, we'll, we'll just see completely different pools of players from now on in? Um, I wouldn't say completely different, because it's, I mean, the essence of it is the same. It's, you know, it's rugby, but because of the, the physical ability... And the detail in which you need to have the attention in, in sevens, it just it takes time. And I think you know at fifteens, like every every um, every skill in sevens is sorry, every skill in fifteens is magnified in sevens. So you have to really be highly highly skilled and have a, a real detailed understanding. So that that's probably where the experience comes into it. And now, as I alluded to before, is around the, the fitness side of it, and just to to bounce from. Um, you know, one to the other when they have different physical requirements is just uh, very difficult to do. But the, the skills are again the same, just um, more precise and more and more detailed in certain ways. Like yeah, turn the ball over, or, you know, switch off for a minute. You know, that could be the game. So that you know, I think if if you played sevens um, before, like maybe you you know played an eighteen, nineteen year old and. And uh, you have a pretty good understanding and sort of, you know, learnt, learnt to be really detailed in your game. Um, you know, returning to it would be um, a lot easier. And then, uh, but the physical side of it, I mean, it's like these girls, these guys are world-class athletes um, training for a specific um, style of play. And then, you know, someone just comes in and um, just drop them into the into that scenario. Like it's it's pretty it's a pretty tough ask, a very tough ask, you know. And, and the, the the naivety of uh, some some players maybe thinking, oh yeah, you know, I'll I'll jump in there and have a go like it used to be sort of you know little as four or five years ago, um, where you possibly could do that. But reality is now now that the the uh, you know supporters and, and and lovers of rugby now sevens can actually understand that it's uh, these are professional elite athletes um, and just dropping into another sport. On another, another, I guess, type of the game is is uh, isn't going to happen, um, you know, straight straight away. Um, but certainly, certainly happen. Just have to have uh, an understanding and the time to get those physical requirements into 
interaction and just understanding, you know, how it how it works. And even when you tour, like you have a fifteens tour, there's like you know thirty five players, but in 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 sevens, there's you know twelve. So there's that that side of it as well. So you know, you're a smaller group, and every personality and every um, action has a has a magnifying effect on the, on the team. Yeah. So mate, and I think that's why. A lot of us, um, sort of external observers, just a bit gobsmacked about the whole Jared Hain thing, which is just, I mean, you know, it's like, you know, um, Ben Ryan certainly knows what he's on about. So it's, and it's, so it's hard to, and we're talking about Fiji here. We're not talking about some, um, you know, struggling side. So, uh, you know, can you give us any insight into, I mean, what, you know, what's your take on sort of what's, what the thinking was there, if there was any. Well, yeah, I, I know I know Ben quite well. Um, he used to coach me actually, and um, we've had lots of each other over over the years. And look, Ben's a very intelligent man, and for every action that he or decision he makes, he, there's a reason behind it. Um, and you know, I think you've got a world class team. You know, number one, number one for the last two years. Um, sort of gold medal favourites. You know why would you, um, you know, bring bring yourself or entertain the idea? And uh, the only answer to that is is to to make it better. You know whether that be through generating competition, or um, if if Jared does play, then he gets the benefit of a great player. But if he doesn't make it, then he's got the he uh, got the the competition or, or the Fijian boys firing. So there's only one reason why, why I believe that Ben's done it, and that's to make his team better. You know, whether it's with, with or without him. But um, uh, you know, it's, I mean, you know, the where he's been training now is probably very opposite to what he is requiring in, in seven. So again, to make that switch is uh, would be massive, and uh, I I couldn't I couldn't see happening. But um, like I said, there's a there's a reason why Ben's entertaining, and it's clearly to make the team better somehow. Okay, now, mate. Um, so you've you've coached both the the men's and and the women's. Is there much of a difference? I mean, from a coaching perspective, um, you know, what what is the difference for you? Um, yeah, it's, I did. I've been sort of coaching the women for um, four, or I was with the boys and the girls, mm-hmm. and the women for for one year as assistant coach and coaching coordinator. And I had the girls. For two years, but doing sort of um, stints, you know, with the boys, and then actually had both roles um, for about four, four to five months. And um, to tell you the truth, there isn't there isn't a lot of difference. Um, the girls, there was in the early days, obviously, because the, the girls were they just turned professional. They didn't know much about um, you know how to be a professional athlete, how to how to how to behave, and they and they learnt you know that off 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 the boys, but. Within the actual day-to-day training, uh, the girls ask a lot more questions, um, and they needed to a lot more detail on how to do things. Um, whereas the boys have been doing stuff for you know since they're four years old, who are watching you know rugby over and over and over again. So there's just little you know little uh, little things that they just needed that that real um, detail behind. Um, the collisions with the boys are obviously they're just. The physiology behind their speed and strength and power is that they're going to get um, more, I guess, uh, injuries from from that point of view. So the girls are a lot more resilient in the way that they um, uh, the, the, the load of of um, kilometres that they clock up, the ability to just train basically um, 
longer and and at, at their high intensity. Um, so that's that's one. I get, and then from the from the team environment, I guess uh, you can rock up to to a men's session and you have to sort of find where the guys are for the team meeting. Whereas you can pull up in the in the car park and you can hear where the girls are. There's a, there's a lot more there's a lot more noise and a lot more a uh, <laughs> lot more talking, but. Um, but I'd have to, you know, coaching them both. It was, um, you know, absolute um, pleasure and, and an honour to, to have both. But you know, from the rugby club, there's a cut, you know, subtle differences around around those things. But um, the, you know, it's a game of rugby, and it's just how you communicate that that really is. It's how you're going to get your message across and how they understand. And just it's just around the around around the detail. Okay. So, mate, look, there's so much rugby on these days um, for a lot of people. Um, you know, trying to keep across all, all forms is, is, can be pretty tough. But I've got a really good suspicion that uh, we're going to be paying a lot of attention to the women going into Rio. So I was wondering if you could um, start off by maybe just giving us a bit of a, a talk through some of the key names in, in, the, in the squad. I'm sure, you know, everybody's got something to offer. They wouldn't be there if they didn't. But, you know, who are some of the headline names that, that we should be looking out for and what is it that they bring to the team? Yes, I mean it is, it is a difficult question because when yeah it's a smaller squad and then mm. um, very fond of all of them in the way that uh, they've grown and, and and played. But if you look at some of the accolades that um, some of them have picked up, um, you know Emily Cherry was the the best player in the world um, a couple of years ago, and she's currently leading try scorer, leading point scorer in in this series in which we're which we're winning. Okay, Emily is a Emily is a complete complete player. Um, on and off the field, uh, she has great, great leadership, a lot of, a lot of composure, um, and she's always there for the big moments of the games. And out of our, out of our seven, uh, sorry, out of our six tournament, tournament wins in the last couple of years, Emily's been involved in every single one of them. Um, so she's, uh, you know, consistent and and uh, you know, great leader. Then um, our co-captain Shani, Shani Williams, and, and Shannon Parry. Um, those two girls are uh, absolutely ruthless and um, both come from 15s, both play in the Wallaroos um, and they're, they're our, uh, our, our work horses and sort of, you know, feared by the opposition. Um, and then we've got um, Charlotte Catholic who was named um, in the top four players in the world last year. Um, she's just an incredible athlete. She's got in, incredible skills and, and, and balance in her in her movement. And then uh, she has the, the ability to you know chop you know, the biggest, um, fastest players down and, and get to the feet and, and cause some turnovers. And then actually, I, could, I could keep going on. <laughs> there's uh, Ilya, Ilya Green. Um, we discovered her four years ago. Um, one of our TID days, and um, you know she's the fastest player in the in the World Series, um, and she she lights up the field, um, and she lights she lights up off the field. She's just an, an incredibly entertaining and and uh, one in a million kind of kind of person. But she's um, in terms of um, athletic, she's mm. the strongest, quickest, um, and just uh, and one of the biggest too. So she's a very valued valued asset. Um, yeah, but I, I could keep going on. No, I'm sure you could get <laughs> the whole team, mate. No, look, and, and they're all actually, you know, these uh, these guys are all becoming household names as well, and I've, I've no doubt that by the end of Rio, um, they're going to be. Um, 
So the, talk us through the competition then, mate. So it's a little bit different as far as the teams that we that we see in the men's. I mean, obviously the Kiwis are there as you'd expect them to be, and then I think it's what is it, Canada and and sort of the the, the Poms um, coming through. Are they the the, the key competition? Yeah, that's right. In the last last certainly the last three seasons, it's been New Zealand, Canada, and Australia, um, sort of battling out with Australia, New Zealand. Um, Generally at the top, we've won the won the most tournaments. And um, two years ago, we came down to the last game to see on the series. And then last year, Canada picked us into second in the last game. And this year, um, we'll come down to the last tournament very close. But yeah, that, that, those three teams and, and the, the Kiwis are very well rounded, well rounded team. Um, very very big and um, and powerful. Um, they've got a couple of game breakers that can just you know the number of times. Uh, there's a young lady called Portia Woodman who, who has won has won games, tight games, just off, off the back of her sheer brilliance is uh, is phenomenal. So there's a couple of game backers there, but certainly physical um, and, and very skillful too. Very very all rounded team. Whereas the Canadians are more of a um, power based power based team, really focused on their on their power game a little bit narrower in in terms of their in terms of their attack, and then. Um, you know, defensively they really have a, have a go up the rack, but um, they're they're certainly um, been working hard on their on their skills and trying to play a, a more of a a, a width a width game. But certainly, you look at the the size of their team; it's certainly based based around that. And the and the English, or which will be the British competing in the Olympics, um, they're a very uh, experienced team. I think they would have an average age of nearly twenty nine thirty, and they've got. Players have been playing 15s for um, you know 10 years and very successfully, and they made the decision last year to sort of pull back from 15s and and all of them uh, go professional sevens players in preparation for the Olympics, and that those um, that's really sort of just started to pay dividends for them. In the last tournament they won, um, and they're the only team to beat us uh, this year actually, but. All those players have sort of, well, almost what we're saying before, they've become sevens fit and really sevens detailed, and um, using their experience and already their sort of athletic and um, you know rugby knowledge, they're really turning turning in, into sevens, and they're it's actually tough to find find a weakness with them at the moment in terms of their their speed and size, and now their their um, I guess their fitness and strategy. We've certainly in the past we've run them off the park and. Sort of find mismatches, but now they're um, really, really tightening that up, and they're very, very solid around the ball retention area. Mm-hmm. And how, and how would um, what 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 kind of USP do you guys aim for? What's what's the difference for the Australian team and the way that we play? Well, we we're a very talented um, and uh, entertaining team. We're not we're not the, we're not the biggest, um, and some teams try to take that to their to, or use that as a, a range. Like we have uh, very quick, you know, some of our girls are, you know, they're wearing ribbons in their hair and, you know, pink boots and, you know, bright yellow jerseys and, you know, they, I use the term girly girls, but they uh, they come out there and think we're going to, you know, smash these girls up and they, they are, our girls are just, uh, you know, pretty ruthless in, 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 in defence. You know, they're chopping them low, getting to their feet and, and really working on... Um, on turning that ball over, and then in attack, you're giving them. They're just they're very intelligent. You give them give them half a half a chance, or 
you switch off somewhere, have you got the intelligence in those players to identify and uh and really play so very 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 skillful skillful based team, that's that's our point of difference. But then just very very ruthless in, in everything we do and that's I think that's the 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 difference and, and where those girls are sort of carved out of a, a little um identity um amongst them around and the detail and, and ruthlessness of which they play but off the back of that point of difference, which is our, you know, highly skilled and, and intelligent player, and that's enabled us to lead the way in many, in many aspects of uh, of the way that women's sevens are played. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, just looking, if I've got the right thing here in front of me, so we've won, what we we won three of the tournament, three out of the four tournaments so far this year. Yeah, so we won the first three, one in, in Dubai, in Sao Paulo, in Atlanta, and then. Um, Came third in in Canada, okay. which um, I rested a, rested a few players and um, and on, on a back to back and and got some other players in and they performed really you know really well but um, yeah it was a, it's been a it's been a, a really good good start to the season a really good, really good preparation and three years ago when we sat down and and decided how we're gonna how we're gonna run this program and how we're gonna get it to its optimum we sort of had this first year theory of um, platform and establishment, you know, setting a platform about what we're about, um, and establishing ourselves um, as professional athletes, and then it was growth and leadership. You know, with every with every team, there's always a very strong strong leaders in within the team. So we're developing that, but also developing um, the, the the leadership on the field and how how we play and how we can. Um, lead the way in, in, like I said, in the way that women's sevens is played. And then, you know, we had some valuable lessons last year. We ended up a fifth and then a seventh in the middle part of the season, and then mm-hmm. we bounced back into, into first, and that was a really good growth point for us. And then this mm-hmm. year was was dominance and destiny, and certainly this year we've been dominating. So it's important that we uh, maintain what we're what we're trying to achieve and, and focus, but. We, we believe if we perform, we'll, we'll get the result. But mm-hmm. we're we're always focused on our just on our on our process, process driven, performance based. Okay. And so there's one uh, tournament left, which is France. And is that the weekend after this one? Yes. Yeah, so we leave on Saturday, and mm-hmm. then it's the 28th, 29th in in Clermont. Great. And then this is it. So, I mean, there's still enough. I mean, you guys have got a, a, a healthy lead, but it's still, you know, it's not slam dunk yet, is it? No, certainly not, and that's why we all love sport, the unpredictability of it. But um, mm. yeah, certainly the pressure is uh, the pressure is, um, is is building, and that's you know, that's how we want it. You know, we have to see pressure as as what we make of it. But the Olympics is going to be you know whole whole new whole new story. So um, we're not so much focused again on on the result. We're not going there to, to finish top six. We're going there to to perform and going there to to win it. So. Um, that's, a, that's a goal every time we, you know, cross the white, the white line or get on the plane on, on onto the tour. So, um, yeah, it's it's all there. It's a massive opportunity um, for us. So, um, yeah, we just make sure that we we prepare and we walk away with that tournament without any regrets. Right. Well, look. Good luck with it all. Um, I think you're going to be getting more and more attention from from everybody, um, especially as we we head into Rio, because you guys are looking like one of the one of the best chances we've got. I think so through all your hard work. So, um, good luck with with Paris, um, and then maybe we even catch up with you before Rio. 
Sounds good. Thanks for the support. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you again soon. Cheers, mate. Thanks, Tim. Excellent stuff there from Tim Walsh, and, and thanks to Matt for uh, getting that interview going for us. Uh, really fascinating guy, Walshy. Uh, I love hearing him talk. Um, a lot of interesting comments on the, the nature of Sevens Rugby um, and, you know, tying back to that squad selection. And an important part of squad selection, uh, Matt, is not just at the elite level but also the composition of your club teams. And there's a company out there that can help you fill the gaps in your uh, rugby teams, isn't there? Why, there is, Reg, and actually it sponsors us as well, and it's sportful.com. Um, so, yeah, get on and have a look whether you're a club and you don't have to be a head coach of an international sevens team. You can be somebody who's trying to get a subbies team out and you need players. Sportful.com is a place to go and find that piece of talent that you've been looking for. On the other side of things, if you're a, a player and you're thinking, look, where am I going to go next? Or if you're looking for international opportunities, whether that's at a semi-pro level, a pro level, or let's say you're just somebody who's finished school and you want to know you know, where you can play some rugby for a year or so, get onto sportpool.com. Um, it's free and, and you'll find where you want to be. Um, we should probably send uh, Sporple's details to, details to Eddie Jones, Matt, because the latest news is Manu Tuolagi's just withdrawn from the English squad to come to Australia. So it looks like Eddie will be looking for another player. Indeed. Well, but, but he, should, yeah, he should probably go to uh, the Tuolangi's brothers. One of the brothers actually <laughs> um, runs their whole, um, you know, their, their whole talent agency for all the other brothers, actually. Um, so yeah, he should he should look he should look them up. Fascinating. I also think. Um, Jared Haynes probably got to get on a sport ball. I think probably start building up that profile, Jared. It's, uh, yeah, happy time. Yeah, well, we didn't talk about it. What about your reflection on how he actually performed? You know, when he did run out. I mean, I only I only saw bits of him in that Fiji game, um, and he looked a bit lost to me. I don't know if you guys saw any more of him. Oh, yeah, he looked lost. What he did look was he looked massive. I mean, huge legs. Obviously, the power game um, needed and. In NFL's sort of come off there, he, I think he needs to trim down a fair bit if he's going to make sevens his go. I don't know what he's going to do, to be honest. Uh, it was a rumour I heard during the week that, I don't know, it was you, you said it or someone said it, that um, Ben Ryan, the coach of the Fijian team, actually didn't want to pick him. He was overruled. So I can only imagine that's someone higher up at Fiji Rugby who wanted him capped so that if he signs a, a high-paying uh, contract in France or wherever... Um, he's still eligible to play test match rugby for, for Fiji. That's, that's amazing. I mean, well, you heard Tim on the interview there saying, you know, him knowing Ben Ryan thinks that Ben would have only have done this because he thought it's something in, for the team, but I still can't square it away. Um, yeah, and, and, that, and, and that rumour seems to, you know, seems to back that up. Yeah. All right, well, let's give Jared... I think we've, you know, comparative to um, how much time we've spoken about him in this podcast probably relates to how much game time he had with the Fijian team on the weekend, so uh, let's move on. Um, and our next question is not about the Wallabies, would you believe, but it is about Aussie rugby and and probably not as uh, exciting as Aussie rugby. And the question is simply, do Aussie fans have anything to look forward to for the rest of the Super Rugby season? Hugh, are you looking forward to it? Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't. I, I, unfortunately, I know I like to try and be optimistic on this podcast and and um, try and look for the good things and, and get excited, but um, I, I don't. I mean, the Waratahs and the Brumbies will compete to win the conference, and the, with the easier draw, it's going to be the Brumbies, but um, 
Look, even then, they're not going to make any dance. The Waratahs are probably gunning for seventh or eighth spot. If they can knock off a few Kiwi teams, that'd be nice, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen. The Rebels are, are battling to try and save a season and make it actually, you know, live up to some of the hype and hopefully crack the top ten. But, again, that looks unlikely. The Force are just trying to get 15 blokes on the field and 25 blokes in the stands. And the Reds are... Reds are oh, Living you know, off the, the victory over the Sunwolves for the next four weeks. The bro. Reds are dangerously close... To, the Reds are dangerously close to third place in the Australian Conference. <laughs> are we really? I've, I've given up looking at the ladder. Are we really? Wow, that's great. Uh, I don't want to have. I don't want to say it, but they are. Well, they're two wins. They're, they're seven points behind, but um, that's two wins, and you never know. So um, that's. I think that that's probably the big. That's probably the key. Reds versus Rebels as to who can finish third. That's the big. Oh. That's the big rivalry here, and. Um, yeah, the, all eyes will be on those teams because what a thrilling battle to see who can get that. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I mean, I've been really getting into Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's been probably less tragic than some of the other things that we've seen over the weekend, even. Um, I've been yeah. trying to walk into a Crusaders fan. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's been, uh, yeah, it's tough, isn't it? It's really hard to see, um, you know, where it's going to come from. And now, just with some of these injuries, so like, you know, with the Bill thing going, I think that was the Tars, any sort of hope of, yeah. of doing much at all kind of went out the window. And so, you know, oh, that's kind of stripped it out as well. It's, it's, it's just really, it's really tough. And it's just really tough when you watch this, you know, talent after talent um, from New Zealand. Who's the 15 for Chiefs for the Chiefs again? The the, the little kid who looks like he McKenzie. should be McKenzie. McKenzie yeah. should be in the under 16s. I mean, my God, his last 10 minutes, um, you know, against the Rebels was just outstanding. Um, and you know, it'd be that'd be the great thing is we're unearthing a few of those little gems, but it doesn't feel like it. I mean, you know, some some guys are making steps on like Reese Hodge, people like that, but. You still don't sit there and go, wow, that guy looks like you could put him in an international shirt tomorrow. Whereas the McKenzie guy, you kind of think, like, you'd give him a run. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, oh, guys, it's, I'm really struggling here because like you, Hugh, don't like to be sound completely negative. I mean, it'd be, here's a good one. Like, you know, we were joking about the Reds, but if the Reds could continue to improve, maybe find some defensive line, um, you know, over the next few games, that'd be good. Yeah, gosh, the next few games. Look, I, um, I'm glad you guys are in that perspective. Oh, I'm not glad because, you know, we don't want to be positive, but I, I, I feared because I'm a red and with no chance that I'd be on my own because, yeah, I'm the same. I got, I don't look forward to anything and just looking ahead, it's almost like, um, whoever gets the, who, you know, the Brumbies or the Rotars first round, it's almost like being the minor premiers. You got a, a first round buy by playing us. I just got, uh, it's just, we're so far off the pace and this, this round was just a real wake up call for us. Um, as it stands now, I think, um, the Waratahs will be playing the Crusaders in the first round of the quarter, or the quarterfinals. As Hugh said, I think with the Brumbies run home, they'll end up taking over the, the Waratahs, but, um, it's, uh, not an enticing thought that, uh, that's the case. So, uh, the only thing I guess it helps is that we, we would host, the, the Aussie team would host. Well, look, it is, a, I know it's a, a bit of an excuse fest, but I, you know, I still go back to that thing. I think I might have mentioned a few podcasts ago that there's a good team worth of, you know, Wallabies, yeah. you know, Wallabies out. Um, you know, out of, the, you know, the conference and, you know, we, we can't really afford that. And, you know, we, we can barely run the five teams, let's be honest. 
Um, and then you take a wallaby, you know, a set of wallabies out of the guys, you know, who, who went out of the Brumbies, for example. Um, you know, you know, Ashley Cooper, uh, Kepu, all these sorts of guys, even Horwell and Genia, you know, all th- th- that whole lot. And we can't afford that sort of talent and top, top talent to be gone. And I, you know, I think we were all fearing it for a good 18 months leading up to it. And then it happens and you kind of forget that you've just got the players who are in front of you. Um, but I think that's exactly what we're seeing because we just don't have those guys with, with the experience and with the talent that you need to be able to put out to kind of stand up against the, this, this Kiwi onslaught. And we're just seeing what that looks like. Um, and yeah, so look, if it makes anyone feel any better, um, you know, I, I think that's the big difference this season. Yeah, indeed. So, look, let's try and stay positive before these last few rounds. We've just got to get through the last round this weekend before that July break. Um, the Reds having the bye, the, the Waratahs taking on the Chiefs, hosting the Chiefs um, at Alliance, uh, the Brumbies hosting the Sunwolves at Canberra. So hopefully there's a tick there and the Rebels and the Force playing an almighty derby on, I think that's Sunday afternoon. So... Um, there's some games to look forward to. At least one Aussie team should have a win, you would think, this weekend. Um, now we're going to wrap up with this tough one, guys, and, and you know, keeping the English uh, theme going, and it's uh, your favourite ever England rugby player. Uh, caused some concern when this topic was suggested, but uh, we thought we'd battle through and see how we go. Matt, you're the closest we've got to a, to an Englishman. You've, you've spent some close <laughs> some time over there. You probably got to know a few of them. What's your opinions on this one? Um, I have no favourite. Uh, <laughs> so when I say favourite, favourite implies like or or positive feelings toward. I, I, and I, I want to say that because for a lot of the time I was in the UK, you know, you know, throughout the um, early 2000s, it was just a you know, trip after trip to Twickenham to watch us get smashed, um, especially in the scrum. Uh, so, look, but I can definitely say, yeah, players that you definitely respect. I mean, there's been a bunch, um, especially in that 2003 team. Um, and probably the guy who, um, who stood out there, really, you've got to say, was Martin Johnson. Um, you know, just, you know, just a titanic player, um, and a great leader. Uh, you know, he, he really dragged those guys through. A lot of people talk about Wilkinson. I think he was important to their game plan, but I think what, you know, Johnson kind of formed around him in that pack. Um, you know, you had the like, likes of Delalio, who's a hell of an athlete and, and, um, yeah, you know, yeah, and a bit of a dickhead, but, you know, you know, they really managed to forge that pack and it was the pack that beat everybody basically. So he would be mine. I, I doff me lid to him. What about you, Hugh? Have you got any favourites? Oh, and it's a tough one, a favorite, isn't it? I guess. Favourites tough. Uh, the one guy that I liked watching, um, and I thought was a very exhilarating player to watch was Jason Robinson. Mm. Um, and you know what he did for the Lions, and then what he did for England, and, and he scored some really good tries, um, and was generally pretty quick and good to watch. So that's that's mine. Everyone else can can. Yeah, can go jump. That 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 was. I mean, the rest of them are not wouldn't wouldn't worth wouldn't cross the road for them. But Robinson was okay. Yeah, look, uh, Robinson. On fire, that you would. <laughs> Robinson's on my shortlist. Definitely, I also had um, Rory Underwood. The old, you know, the the winger from the uh, Raff winger yeah. who I, I used to, you know. I think I started watching rugby intently in, in 84 and he was on the wing in that English team that played us in the Grand Slam. Uh, a couple of tough forwards. Dean Richards I always liked. 
socks mm. down, hard nosed player, Mike Teague, Richard yeah. Hill, a couple of other back rows. But it, you know, I, I, you know, Johnny Wilkinson, I admired. I don't know if I, it was, would I call him a favourite. Um, but Jerry Guscott's probably the one I, ah, he was a player sure. that I actually enjoyed watching. I put aside any media perspective of him now, but he was someone that I actually really enjoyed watching. And he, in, interestingly, he made his international de- debut for the Lions before he played for England in that 89 series in the second test at Ballymore, um, which I was at. And um, he scored a try and, and sort of caught the eye there of a few people, as, as you would, in that sort of circumstance. And um, uh, look, ever since I sort of watched him intently and uh, I, I thought he was a fantastic player. So silky smooth and, and whatnot. And I think he... Uh, he what, what was the story? I think he you know, obviously formed a great combination with Carling. And I think Gus got played outside centre but wouldn't wear the 13 jersey um, because he was um, because of superstitious so Carling used to wear 13 but play inside centre might, might be the other way around one of our guys would one of our uh, many English fans will obviously correct that but regardless Jeremy Goscott's probably the only English guy I, I could you know sit down and, and say I, I'd enjoy watching him play no mate look you, you won that one you, you won that question I think because yeah he was um, he was glorious to watch he was one of the guys that you didn't kind of you know, kind of, I don't know, spit between your teeth when you saw him do something great. And Jason Robinson, I don't think, was far off that as well. He, it was just that it hurt a bit more when he did it for some for some reason. Um, yeah. But what, right. why is it that they give us the shit so much? I don't know, mate. I, I don't know. Mate, it's the way they talk. I've, I've just gotten used to the way you talk, but... <laughs> I don't know. It's odd. You know, it's just the palms. It's just how we're brought up, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. But yeah, it's just... just is, is it an arrogance? Um, you know, within them. I mean, they, they clearly fucking hate losing to us. That's, I think that's pretty clear as well. I get the sense. I mean, I'd love to have a conversation. You, you, this is the sort of conversation you don't tend to get on, on the record with, with players, but, you know, generally speaking, you know, teams go back and have a beer afterwards and that sort of thing. And I just wonder what goes on with the Poms. Um, you know, how much of that happens. Uh, but anyway. Anyway. Yeah, 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 you hear those stories. The Aussie, the New Zealand is all good mates and all that sort of stuff. But the Poms, I'm not too, sh- not too sure. We'll, we'll, finally, we had some English people we could speak to coming up, hey? Yeah, well, we'll dig some of that out. We'll get some guests on. We'll figure it out. All right, excellent, guys. Shall we do a quick tip? Let's, let's just round up just quickly with those games we talked about, um, this weekend and we'll start with the, the Waratahs game. Um, guys, yeah, any hope for the Waratahs? Uh, Hugh? Yeah, playing at home, uh, it, you never know. I, I think they've got, should be a good crowd in, and um, look, the Chiefs are a very good side, and, and they'll be favourites, but um, I don't know, you hope the Waratahs have got a good game in them and, and can scrub off a, what was a bad half hour against the Crusaders, um, and, you, and it's supposed to be fine and good hard track, so, so conditions probably more suitable, so you never know. Okay, Matt, do you have any hope for your Tars? Yeah, I've got some hope, but I wouldn't be betting on it. No. I'd be um, for it. <laughs> no, I'm, I'll stick by my anyone who plays the Kiwis I tip against, so the Chiefs for mine. Uh, the Brumbies, however, I think are good things against the Sunwolves. Sunwolves are, were great to watch last weekend, very enterprising with the ball in hand, um, but I think the Brumbies should be too good for them. I think they'll really take them in the forwards and, and suck them in those uh, the, the rucks and moors. The Sunwolves don't like to commit too much there. Uh, Matt, any thoughts on this one, thinking the same? Yeah, they should do. I mean, I was impressed by the Sunwolves against the Reds. Yeah. 
I thought their attack was really good, actually. It was fantastic, yeah. They've got some, you know, great players. I mean, I think out of, you know, all these teams, with the way they've started and this schmozzle of a travels thing and everything that they've got, they've got the real base of a, of a good, good team there. And I think they'll give, if they, you know, end up staying in that rigged South African conference, I think <laughs> they'll, they'll do alright. Yeah, let's hope so. Uh, what about Hugh Hugh? Do you, Brumbies all the way? Uh, yeah, Brumbies all the way. All right. What do we think about this Rebels force? Uh, gosh, you know, the, the Rebels have been in somewhat of a decline. Like we say, teams haven't been announced, but I'm hearing there'll be a few changes. But like I said, I think I said that last week and none of those changes eventuated. So I'll keep saying it. Um, uh, Hugh, do you think the Rebels will, will, you know, get their way back into the winning circle against the force? Oh god, you gotta hope so. They need to. They really do. Um, cause if they lose this game, then all of a sudden you wonder if they have advanced at all this season, you know, and, and we're just the same as we've always been with the Rebels. Um, they need to consolidate their games this year and they need to beat the Force. And without Matt Hodgson, you've got to think yeah. the Force, even though That's the they key. do have some, some handy back rowers, um, they, it's, they should have enough class to beat the Force. Yeah, Matt, you agree with that? Yeah, and I, I think with uh, the talisman out, the force are going to struggle big time. Yeah, I forgot about Hodgson. That's a massive loss. So, yeah, three from three there with the uh, the Rebels taking that one. And, and that'll wrap us up tonight, guys. Uh, thanks for your time, Matt and Hugh. Good one, mate. Look, so, I just, I've just got one customer review here to add in. Oh, right, of course. Yep. Um, this is from Big Dogs. Um, and his, his name of his review, which is on iTunes, which anyone can leave, and actually it'd be quite nice if people kept dropping in funny ones like this. More reliable than a Reese Robinson try in the corner. <laughs> so you've got to remember this. I think this is from a couple of weeks ago when, when Reese Robinson absolutely butchered that grubber that uh, Kurtley Bill put through. So we're more reliable than that. Great podcast for the rugby enthusiast who isn't content with the pablum served up by the mainstream news sources. Um, I don't even know what Pablum is, but I think I'm, that we're better than that. I'm really Didn't glad. he used to play for the Brumbies? <laughs> <laughs> could, could do with a little more East Coast bias, though. Leaves you gagging for more. So, awesome. Thanks, mate. Thanks for that. Pablum, noun, bland or insipid, insipid intellectual matter. I think that sums us up pretty well. <laughs> that should be the new name for the podcast. All right. Good one. No, thanks, All right. Thanks, boys. Thanks for having us on, and thanks, everybody, for letting us come in your ears. Thank you very much. Get out there and support your rugby. And remember, hashtag make history. Good luck to the Aussie women's sevens team. Yeah. Both my arms are down. No, you weren't. I called it. I called it. My head can be out. Your arms need to be down from the hands to your armpits. Yeah. It wasn't. Have a look at it.